I like to quote C.S. Lewis, you know, he says, it's not always the preacher's responsibility to impart new information. Sometimes the most important thing a preacher can do is remind you who you are and how you're supposed to live. And that's really my goal the first of each year. That I don't take for granted that we all know who we are and how we're supposed to live. I think sometimes um, we're quite careless as Christians. And we don't spend enough time in the Word of God. We don't spend enough time sitting at the feet of Jesus, being still, and knowing how we're supposed to live this life. Last week we looked at Kadesh Barnea and the tragic consequences of shrinking back from God. What happened to the, the Jews that shrank back from obeying God? You guys know the story. What happened? They died in the wilderness, right? And I don't want that to happen to any of you in 2012. So, And I don't want to just focus on the negative. I want to focus also on the positive. The positive is the, the story of Gideon. God has called us to be warriors, spiritual warriors. He's left us here for a reason. To, to do a thing. To make Jesus famous in the earth. And each one of us have a different responsibility in the kingdom. I mean, it's all different. But you have a responsibility. You're a disciple. If you're born again tonight, you're a disciple. You understand that, right? You're, I'm reading a book right now. It's not the best book I've ever read. But I like the title of it. The title is, I'm not a fan. He's not a fan of Jesus. Oh, he's a disciple of Jesus. Yes? I'm not a fan. I'm, I don't just sit on the sidelines and applaud. I'm in the game, right? I'm challenging you to make sure in 2012 you're in the game. Beloved, I say it to you all the time. <laughs> you're a vapor upon the earth. You only have moments as compared to eternity to be about what God has called us to do. So every January, I want to stand there at Kadesh Barnea and I want us to, to feel uh, really the tragedy of shrinking back from following the Lord. Unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. We talked about it last week. Unrisky disobedience is a risky thing. So I challenge you every year to risky obedience. I know that's a new concept to some of you. You think that being a Christian is just coming to church and you know praying a little bit and and maybe singing a little bit and it's much more than that. If we're if we're truly disciples, it's much more than that. We're supposed to be the salt and the light. We're supposed to have luminous lives, lives that shine out in the world, in the dark place. Lives that shine that Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy to live for. Jesus is worthy to die for. Of course, I can, I can give up what my friends do. It, it costs me nothing to give it up. Jesus is enough for me, yes? Of course I live differently than the world. Jesus satisfies my heart. I don't chase after the bubbles that burst. Jesus is enough for me. Not only is He enough for me, He fills my soul. Beloved, this is discipleship. This is discipleship. And God comes to Gideon 
And He calls him. He calls him into the uncareful life. You know, He calls him into Hebrews 11. You know, Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith. Guess what? Via this sermon, God is calling you into the Hall of Fame of Faith this year, 2012. He's calling you in. If you're not already in Hebrews 11, He's calling you into Hebrews 11 in 2012. As He is calling me as... Well, you remember what Caleb said last week, right? What did Caleb say? Someone tell me. About going in. Does anybody remember what Caleb said? About going in. He said, by all means we should go in. Do you remember why he was so confident? Why was he so confident? By all means we should go in. The Lord is with us. By all means you should obey the Lord radically in 2012. The Lord is with you. Our God is God. Stop shrinking back. Don't be intimidated in the world. Don't be intimidated at the university. Don't be intimidated in your office. Don't be intimidated in your home. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Honor the Lord. You remember what Caleb and Joshua said. They said, the Lord is bringing us to a good place. That's what He'll do in 2012 in your life. As you believe Him. They said the Lord uh, is going to give us what He promised. That's what the Lord will do in your life in 2012 if you will trust Him. They said God will turn uh, your fear into your prey. And I love this one. You know, I make much of this. What is it that intimidates you? What is it that, that strikes fear in your heart? That paralyzes you from being a, a true disciple of Christ? God says I'll turn that, in, that fear into your prey. He's done this in my own life. I bet I could get some testimonies out here. He'll turn your fear into your prey, beloved, if you will trust Him and believe Him and go with Him. Now, I want to remind you of something. So I'm going to be a little bit all over the place here for a few minutes, okay? Then we'll get to the text. I want to remind you of something. You know what God says about His children, right? He says, I love them with an everlasting love. How many of you believe that God... If you're born again tonight, how many of you believe that God loves you with an everlasting love? then what are you afraid of? He's God and He loves you. Not only that, He says, I'm for you. <laughs> Can you believe? I mean, don't you love the Bible? Come on. Not only does He love us, He's for us. It's not just some passive, oh yeah, I feel, I have warm affections for It's not that. You know, He's poured Himself out for us. He says, nothing can separate you from Me. Nothing. No one can separate you. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Beloved, if we would believe these words, if we would own these words, we would be extraordinary Christians. We wouldn't be lukewarm Christians. We would be Hebrews 11 Christians. <laughs> Which is what God has called us to be. God says, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. He says, I'm your rock. I'm your fortress. I'm your refuge. I'm your stronghold. Do you believe it? My challenge to you is to live like it in 2012. Live like your God loves you like this. Live like your God is able. Live like your God is God. No more slinking around. No more secret agent Christian. 
I'm going to make Jesus famous in my little part of the world. My little corner of the world. That's your job. You can't, you can't preach the Gospel to the whole world, but you've got this little corner of your world that God has given you. It's your orbit. And He means for you to make Jesus famous in that orbit. I want to remind you, I know you know this, I've said this to you many times, how you believe Him, trust Him, and obey Him is a commentary on what you believe to be true about Him. Now, if you slink around and you're kind of a secret Christian, that's, that's really a confession. I don't believe He's God at all. Or at least, He's not God enough to believe. He's not God enough to honor. He's not God enough to, to sacrifice for. That's really what you're saying by your actions. And that's what the Jews were saying uh, last week at Kadesh Barnea. He's not God enough for us. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's be slaves. That's better than trusting God. Isn't that an amazing account? They'd rather be slaves then trust the Lord. So I want to call you in 2012 to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. And I want to remind you how you live and how you act in 2012 is a commentary on what you really believe about Jesus Christ. It is a commentary on what you really believe to be true about him. And I love Gideon, right? Don't you love Gideon? <laughs> How can you not love the story of Gideon? I do love it with all my heart. And so I want us to stand there with Gideon every January. I want us to stand there. And I want us to, to feel the joy of, of, of God routing that army. Of God routing the enemy. I love it. I love it. You know, you got to put yourself... You know, when you study the Bible, you need to put yourself in these people's sandals. Yes, I tell you this uh, frequently. You've got to put yourself... You've got to feel what they feel. Now, you know Gideon feels terror at what God has called him to do. But he works through the fear and he trusts the Lord and he's victorious. And God routes the enemy. It's an, off, it's an awesome... Awesome story. So I don't know in 2012 where your test of trust is. I don't know where the hard place is for you in 2012. I don't know what looks impossible to you, but what I want to say to you, God is for you. Your God is God. Believe it. Live it. Christianity is really simple. I know that you know men have grabbed onto it and turned it into a whole lot of things that it's not. They've co-opted it and turned it into religion. But Christianity is very, very simple. I love Jesus. And my life screams that I love Jesus. That's really Christianity. Really. That's the net effect of Christianity. God has saved us by this radical act of love. And, and, and you know, our reaction to it should, should at least equal his, his reaction. He poured Himself out for us. He calls us to do the same to pour ourselves out for Him. So I'm going to give you three verses here real quick, and then we'll get into the text. This is just free stuff. This is not part of the sermon. You know? Right. I am really good to you guys. You know I am. But I like to work this in a couple times a year. Some of you who were here last January, you heard me say this. But it's important you get this for 2012. I want you to remember. Who remembers... This phrase from the Bible, is anything too hard from the Lord? Is, any, is anything too hard for the Lord? Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember the text? 
Who, did, who, did, who said that to whom? God said it to, to Abraham, right? Because He said, I'll be back in a year and Sarah will be pregnant. And Sarah what? She laughed, right? She laughed. <laughs> and God says, it's a theophany. God has come in the flesh. It's pre-incarnate Christ. He's standing before Abraham and Sarah. And God says, is anything too hard for me? You know that great text. Is there? Are you living like something's too hard for God? Nothing's too hard for God, beloved. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Oh yeah, you know the rest of the story. And the Lord did for Sarah as He promised. So Sarah conceived and she bore a son. Here's another one. Is the Lord's power limited? Does anyone remember that one? Is the Lord's power limited? Who said that? Well, again, God said it. He said it to Moses. Remember, the people were clamoring for meat. And they were in the middle of the desert. Two million people. And Moses, you know, the Lord said, I'll give them meat. And Moses was concerned. How can we get this much meat? How is this possible? God says, I'll give them meat. He says, is the Lord's power limited? And God says, now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Numbers 11.31, And the wind from the Lord brought the quail from the sea and fell by the camp three feet deep. One more time. Jesus said, For all things are possible with God. Beloved, I'm telling you these things because this is, I want you to grab onto these things and I want you to live these things in, in the new year. It's a new year. Every time I get to go home in the States, I get to preach you know, uh, one or two times when I'm back in the States. And I, I told the congregation, it's a new year. Give it to God. It's the perfect time to drive the stake in the ground and say, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm not going to play church anymore. I'm not going to do religion anymore. I'm going to be a disciple in 2012. And let me tell you, when you sin and when you fall and when you fail, which you will do, as I will do, you know what the, you know what the solution is, right? What's the solution? We confess our sin. And Jesus cleanses us. We get back up. And we're hot on His heels again. This is the way Christianity is supposed to be lived. So I'm calling you to live at large in 2012. Jesus said all things are possible with God. You may remember the text. Jesus has said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were, were aghast. How can this be? Because in the first century they believed a rich man had the favor of God. So how could a poor man ever be saved? Jesus said all things are possible. All things are possible with God. So I want you to remember in 2012... There's nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord's power is not limited and all things are possible with our great God. So we're going to turn to Judges chapter 6 and we're going to go through the text pretty quick. We'll go through it pretty quick. We're going to see here that God drives Gideon to faith. We talked about it last week. You remember when, when God sent the, the Jews, the spies into the promised land? He, he knew they were going to come back with a report that there are giants in the land. God's always driving His people to faith. And He's going to drive you to faith. If you belong to Him in 2012, He's going to drive you to faith in 2012. 
He's not going to allow you to sit in your spiritual recliner and get comfortable. That that's never happens in, in biblical Christianity. God's going to drive you to faith. You're going to have to believe Him. You're going to have to trust Him. And you're going to have to act. God's always doing this in the believer's life. And He comes to Gideon. We see it again. Just like last week. He's going to drive Gideon to faith. Right? So you know the background. Let me give you the background real quick. Judges chapter 6. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 1. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Down, drop down to verse 6. Judges chapter 6. Verse 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they cry out to the Lord here. Verses 7 through 10. I'll just summarize for you. They cried out to the Lord. The Lord sent a prophet. And he reminded them that the Lord had brought them up out of Egypt, verse 8. He brought them out of slavery, verse 9. And the Lord delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And He gave you this land, verse 10. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. But someone tell me what it says at the, verse, the end of verse 10. Why, are, why has Israel been subjugated? Why do they find themselves under uh, the authority of a foreign power? Someone tell me from the end of verse 10 there. What does it say? You have not obeyed me, God says. And then God comes. God comes to Gideon. You heard the text read. The angel of the Lord. It's a, technical, it's a technical term in the Old Testament. This is God. This is, not, this is not an angel. This is pre-incarnate Christ. This is the way I like to say it. Some theologians will say it different. This is a theophany. God is coming. God is coming to Gideon. And he sits under the oak tree. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 12, and he said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> I've researched this as best I can. There's no evidence in the Bible anywhere that Gideon is a warrior. The only thing we know about him is that he's threshing the wheat here. The only thing we know about him is his day job is, is farming. Okay, This is all we know about him. So why does God call him a valiant warrior? Some of you have heard me preach this before. Why does God call him a valiant warrior? He's not one. Oh, he's going to be one. Right? Don't you love... I've got to preach this text at the, end of, at the beginning of every year. I don't know what God's going to turn you into in 2012. I don't know what He's going to turn me into in 2012. Most of you don't know. I'm not going to go there. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to go there. So, I retract. Um, I don't know. Listen, you've got to leave enough room in your life for God to come in. I see this so often in Christians' lives. They're so regimented. They're so in the box. They're so, they manage their life down to the, the most minutest detail. There's no room for God to break in. Beloved, you've got to leave room for God to break into your life and turn you into what He purposes for you to be. He calls him a valiant warrior. He's not one. But God's going to turn him into one. You notice it. Gideon just lets it fly right past. He doesn't say anything about the valiant warrior comment. It's like, I know that, you know, that, that comment could, 
get in the way of my very safe and secure and manageable farm career, so I'm not going to inquire about that. I'll just let that alone. So he leaves it alone. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He's a famous commentator, a theologian. Uh, I love what he says here. He says, God begins the process of animating Gideon to undertake something great. Beloved, we're all here to do something great. You know, I don't know if you have that vision for yourself. God's left you here. If you belong to Him, He's left you here to do something great. Maybe not necessarily in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. Yes? Nobody else may ever know who you are. Hey, we're a pretty humble little operation here, you know? I mean, we're a pretty anonymous little group here. But God knows who we are. And God works through this church. God saves people through this church. God turns lives upside down in this church. So, beloved, He's left you here to do something great. To share the Gospel. Share the Gospel. Live, live your life in such a way that, that people can see the, the reality of Jesus in your life. That's, that's, that's the only reason we're here on the planet. We're not here to, to make a lot of money and buy a lot of stuff and have a lot of fun. We may do those things, but that's not preeminently why we're here. We're still on the planet. The only reason we're still on the planet is to serve the Lord Jesus so, will you accept God's invitation for 2012? Will you give it to Him? Will you give it to Him? Will you be a valiant warrior for Him? Even if it looks costly, even if it looks risky, the Lord Jesus says, come. The Lord Jesus says, come. Look at verse 13. Gideon said to him, why has all this stuff happened? Why has all this bad stuff happened? Where's all your miracles? I love verse 14. Look at verse 14. You've got to love this. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Don't you love it? Gideon is complaining about the way things are. God looks him in the eye and he says, You go do it, Gideon. Be careful when you complain to the Lord. Gideon's complaining. God says, You go be my miracle, Gideon. Hey, valiant warrior. You go be my miracle. I love this. I love it. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, you know, so often, so often, we assign our own feebleness to God. God will give us something impossible to do. And He will give you something impossible to do. At least something you think is impossible. At least something that's bigger than your own resume. He's going to give you something bigger than your own resume. Believe me. That's what He always does. So He may show Himself mighty in your life. But what is it that we do? What is Gideon going to say? Look at verse 15. He says, Oh Lord, how shall I do this? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's house. What's Gideon doing? What do you do when God calls you to do a hard thing? What do you do? What's the first thing you do? First thing I do. We look in the mirror, right? We look in the mirror. I can't do that. I don't have the ability. I don't have the capacities. I don't have the talent. I don't have the resources. I can't do it. God says, of course you can't do it. If you could do it, I would have called someone else. You're not supposed to be able to do it unless 
I do it with you. Unless I empower you. Unless you believe in me and trust me to show up in your life. Of course you can't do it. You're not called to do things you can do, beloved. In your own strength. Listen, you know this, right? I used to be, a, I used to be an accountant. Everybody knows how accountants are. They're the worst. You know, they just sit in their corner with the little pencils and... How many of you are accountants in here? Anybody accountant? You know, they, they just do their little thing and that's all they do. They're, you know, they have their little pocket protector and they have their little briefcase and they're like little librarians. God calls me to preach. I, I say, I can't preach. He says, of course you can't preach. You're an accountant. Accountants can't preach. But I'm going to turn you into a preacher. And he did. And he did. That's how it is with God. Gideon thinks he's a farmer. Wrong! He's a warrior! I don't know what you think you are, but you're much more in the eyes of God. So, you know, quit putting limits on what you can do for the Lord for these few moments you're on the earth. Beloved, the only limitations you have are the ones you put on yourself. Because in the eyes of God, you have no limitations. God says, hey, go be my miracle. You know, Gideon's looking at his resume. I'm a farmer. Not only that, I'm the youngest farmer in my farming family. God says, you be my warrior. Look at verse 16. But the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. You that changes everything, doesn't does it not? It changes everything. Every it changes everything in your life. You plug God into the calculus, it all changes. The problem is most of us don't put him in the calculus. We're we're just looking at ourselves and we're we're adding up our abilities and we're looking at our resumes and and they're not adequate. Of course, they're not adequate. We're supposed to be looking at God, beloved. You need to leave room. For God to lay His hands on you and use you in a mighty way. I love, I love what Larry Crabb says. He's a well-known author in America. He says, manageable dreams are not worthy of an unmanageable God. Don't you love that? Manageable dreams are not worthy of an unmanageable God. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. God says, have I not sent you? Gideon, you be my miracle. You be my miracle. You got a problem with the way things are? You be my miracle. I will be with you. Beloved, 2012, God will be with you. You need to be breaking new ground with God in 2012. You know, shame on you and shame on me if we get to the end of 2012 and we're still in the same place. Shame on us. God doesn't mean for it to be that way. God means for us to, to, to come hard after Him and God's always moving. He's never going to let you sit down in the spiritual recliner and get comfortable. He's not. He never lets that happen. He's always going to take us to the new place. God says, I will be with you. God changes He takes housewives. 
He takes students. He takes business people. He takes accountants. And He uses them in the way He desires. In a way that He gets glory and honor. December 31, 2012 will be here like that. And the older you get, the more you understand this. I always forget how old I am. I don't know how old I am. I'm getting sold. I can't remember how old I am. Right? People ask me. I say, I'm, I have to do the math. I can't remember. The years are just going boom, boom, boom. I'm going to be standing in front of Jesus soon. And so will you. Some of us sooner than we think. Some of us may not make it home tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want you to be able to say at the end of 2012, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You, you recognize that? That's Paul's confession. I want each of us to be able to do that at the end of the year. As most of you know, if you know your Bibles, you know that Gideon asks for three signs. Now, this is the worst part of the story. But we have to understand, at least from a New Testament perspective, we have to understand, Gideon doesn't have what you have. What do you have that Gideon does not have? Yes, that's right, Eric. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We know the end of the story. We know the power of Jesus Christ. We also are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are we not? In the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. The Holy Spirit would come upon a man, but we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and we have the, the full canon of Scripture. So Gideon asks for three signs, and the Lord is gracious to him, and Gideon knows he's pushing his, his luck here. In, in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 39, he says, Lord, don't be mad at me, but I want one more sign. And God was very gracious to Gideon, and God gave him Multiple signs, but what I want to say to you parenthetically, it's not normative for the New Testament Christian to be asking for signs to confirm that God has spoken and that I am to obey. It's not normative, beloved. You don't see it in the New Testament. In fact, what you see, Jesus condemning the crowds and the Pharisees for asking for a sign. Here, here are your signs. Here are your signs. Right here. Believe them. Trust them. Thanks. And obey. You have your signs. Does, does faith come? I mean, you, yeah, you have, you have what you need. Does faith come? Let me ask you this real quick and we'll move on. Does faith come from signs? What does the Bible say? Faith comes from the Word of Jesus. You have everything you need, beloved. You have everything you need. So back to Gideon. Gideon sends out messengers to the various tribes and 32,000 guys show up. Chapter 7, verse 2. 32,000 men show up. Now we're going to find out later in the text that there are at least 135,000 uh, enemy combatants. So it's 4 to 1. But God says you have too many guys. Why do they have too many guys? Here in chapter 7, verse 2, God says, I know you people, you're going to boast... You're going to think you did it, even though it's four to one. You're going to boast about it. So he says, Gideon, you got too many guys. Tell all the guys that are afraid to leave. 22,000 guys bail. Okay? So he's down to uh, 10,000 guys. 
God says, you still got too many guys. It's 13 to 1, but God says, you still got too many guys. So God weeds them down to 300. It's 300 to 135,000. You can do the math. That's 450 to 1. Okay, it's 450 to 1. It's just impossible enough. God says, is anything too hard for me? Is my power limited? All things are possible. Believe me, Gideon, I am with you. Don't you love it? Would you go fight these guys? you got 300 guys. Would you do it? I mean, be honest. I know you're sitting in church and you're supposed to say, yeah, of course. Would you do it? Beloved, what is it out in the world that you're shrinking back from that doesn't even begin to compare with that? Stop shrinking back. Stop being afraid. Believe your God. Obey your God. Give 2012 to Him. And say, Lord, this scares me to death. I think You're calling me to do something and it scares me to death, but I'm going to believe You and I'm going to trust You and I'm going to do it. And if You don't show up, it's going to be a train wreck, but I'm going to do it because I believe You called me to it. Beloved, if God's called you to it, He'll show up. He will show up. He will show up. So they get it down. God gets it down to 300 men. He gets it down to 300 guys. Now I want you to put yourself in their sandals. Look what God gives them. Chapter 7, verse 16. The 300 men, they have a trumpet. They have an empty pitcher that they're going to put on top of their torch. And then they have a cheer. Verse 18, for the Lord and for Gideon, this is all they have. And the enemy, again, there are 135,000 of them, they have spears and knives and arrows, bows and arrows and armor and all this stuff. So would you, would you do it? Would you go down? Would you go down to the enemy camp? Would you? Oh, guess what? They have one more thing. You remember what they, what do they have? I told you this last week, you're always in the majority with God. You're always in the majority. You always have more than you need, even if you're alone. At least humanly speaking, for God is always with His people. So, Gideon has received at least four signs and five verbal assurances. If you read the text, you see all this. But what is this 300th man? What does he know? He hasn't been privileged all this. But he goes. He goes with God's leader. I think, again, we have to put ourselves in, in, in the sandals of these men. Would we really do it? Would we really do it? I know it's, in theory it's easy to sit here and say we would. But I want to challenge you. Where will you risk for God in 2012? Where, where will you risk for God? In 2012, when He calls you to the hard thing, will you obey? I want to encourage you. Obey. Obey the Lord. God always brings His people to this place. He always does. You guys know the rest of the story. Um, Chapter 7. Yeah, verse 22, the Lord set the sword of one against the other, even 
throughout the whole army. If you turn over to chapter 8, verse 12, you see that it's confirmed that God routes the whole army. Can you imagine the joy? This is what I want to say to you. Can you imagine the joy of those 300 guys? What I want to say to you, some of you could give testimony here tonight. When you obey the Lord in the hard thing, it's joy. You know what I'm saying? It's joy. You know the formula. We say it all the time. God gets the glory. God's people get the joy. I want you to be. I want you to have the best year you've ever had. I want 2012 to be the best year you've ever had. I want it to be full of joy. You know how you're guaranteed that 2012 will be full of joy by radical obedience. That's how you get to 2012 full of joy. That's how you get to December 31, 2012 full of joy. As you've radically obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ, we talked about it last week. That. That quote from that movie Braveheart, William Wallace, I use it every once in a while, every man dies, but not every man really lives, right? We talked about it. I think we could say if many who profess to be Christians, every Christian professes faith, not every Christian really lives it. I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you out on the water. You're Peter, you're in your little boat, but Jesus says, come. I'm inviting you out on the water with God. In 2012, it looks impossible, it looks risky, but wherever God is challenging you, I am challenging you to obey Him there. To obey Him there. God says, My righteous ones live by, someone tell me, faith. So, where is faith in your life? God says, my kids live like I'm really God and I'm really a promise keeper. We talk a lot about this in this church. God is a promise keeper. Does your life give testimony to the fact that your God is a promise keeper? So, I exhort you to be free with God in 2012. Completely and utterly uninhibited with God in 2012. Go to the new place with God in 2012. And shame on you and shame on me if we shrink back, beloved. Give yourself away to Jesus. He can be trusted. I'm the servant of God. I'm preaching to you from the Word of God on the authority of, of, of the Word of God. And I've challenged you as the people of God, go with God. In 2012, Maybe like you never have before. I just want to remind you, you know, we're not naming and claiming folks here simply because the Bible doesn't teach that. I want to remind you that if you, if you study Hebrews 11, some are delivered and some are martyred. Right? Daniel was delivered, but Stephen was stoned. We don't worry about these things. We just obey the Lord. The consequences of obedience we leave to God. If martyrdom comes, I mean, I don't know. Some of you in your home countries, you may be you may come from countries where martyrdom is a possibility. Most of us don't. Most of us will never face that. But you know the Bible teaches that Jesus is better than anything life can give 
And Jesus is better than anything death can take. I'm challenging you to believe that and to live that in 2012. So be open with God. Go to the new place with God in 2012. Don't shrink back. You're a valiant warrior. Don't look in the mirror. Look at God in 2012. So I want to close tonight a little bit like we did last week. I just want to take a few minutes and I want you to think about 2012. I want you to ask God what He wants from you in 2012. You know, maybe we'll just take it a week at a time. How about just this week what God wants from you? What God is calling you to do? So I'm going to... We're going to take just a few minutes to be still and to be quiet. To think deeply about what God has said to us tonight. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to ask God... I want you to ask God what it is He wants from you in 2012. Some of you already know. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. You already know. You already know where God is challenging you. You already know. Maybe it's the sin in your life. Maybe it's where you've been afraid. Maybe you've not committed to the church. I don't know what it is. It could be 101 things. But I'm going to challenge you to, to make a commitment tonight. Just right there where you sit. Just all by yourself. We're not, we're not, I'm not going to try to get you to come up and you know do anything. I just want you to do some business with God. So let's take a few minutes and, and cry out to God. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine.